0: I create all these really cool powerpoints, and then, uh, which means you're sort of stuck with them. And then, um, but people like whiteboards. I don't know. And then you get to laugh at my misspelt words and my pictures. I have, I did draw. I've I've drawn some weird stuff over the years. I hope it, I hope it works out today. Well. this is the uh, first time I've uh, preached anywhere this year. Two years ago, I think I'd probably preached about 30 or 40 times by this time of the year. But um, in mid 2017, I hit, hit the wall burnout. I think I'd, in 2017, uh, from the beginning to the mid year, I preached about 100 times, five different countries, wow. and uh, I ran out of steam. And um, if you're at the conference with Paul Young, one of the things I quoted was um, Julian of Norwich who said, there's the fall and then there's the recovery from the fall. And both are the grace of God. But who knows that when, uh, when we're wrestling and we're trying to carve out something and we're trying to make stuff work, I mean, I'm a... Where's the, where's the guy that did the communion? Where are you up there? What's your name? Vic. I'm a dad of three, two. I've got three kids. They're 8, 10, 14. and It's flat out, eh? You were right. You're right. Like, I needed the peace of God every single day. And, uh, and then when you're like a preacher and God opens doors, then there's like sort of even more pressure, you know? Well, you think there is. There's not, but you think there is because, you know, you want to be a good example. But I'm discovering that the best example is an honest example and an authentic one. And so, um, so last year I preached once um, at, um, at Friends First. But, um, but God has opened some really interesting doors, particularly in the workplace. Do you know, we last, I think it was last year... It was uh, 500 years from the Reformation, where Martin Luther put his theses up on the, the door. I don't even know what number it was. The 90. Does anybody know? 96? 96, 96 theses? I mean, that's a few, right? I don't know if he'd written 96, 95, and he's like, finally got something out. But um, we have to understand he was a Catholic monk. And um, so he lived in a monastery. He practiced virtues and holiness in, in a faith community. And then he's like, something's not right here. And we have to understand he wasn't the only one who was like, something's not adding up. And he put that up, and uh, through the series of events, he's sort of no longer allowed to be who he was. And one of the interesting things that came out of that was, well, if, if I can't practice, if we can't practice, and, and I'm underlying the word practice here you have to intentionally practice you know like you sort of have to practice coming to church, practice prayer do you know it's like an instrument whatever, you, any anything worth holding on to and being is worth practicing right he said if we can't practice virtues and holiness in, in, in a monastery where should it be, you know here he's left he's out of church, he's like it's Monday morning, basically. you know <laughs> it's Monday morning. How am I going to do this? And he says that it should be done in the home and in the workplace. They were, the, they were His places, which is fascinating. So God has opened up these doors and I'm working with this organization, basically doing spiritual formation, pastoral work and in a, in a Christian ministry organisation slash business that uh, has about 120 employees across the Asia-Pacific. Because the director came to me and he said, what would it be like if this wasn't just a good place to work but a great place to grow? And I'm thinking, that would be radical, right? Because, hear me out, It's, it can be, it's, it's a, being a pastor and standing here and preaching on a Sunday, this is a pretty tough gig. Like, Because you've got like 40 minutes to hope that every sheep goes off and does what you encourage them to do. But in a workplace, you've got 40 hours a week. And it's slowly happening, and people are coming to work thinking, wow, I can actually grow. This, this could be my community. Like where I'm actually being transformed, as much as my, my faith, family, and community, and where I fellowship on Sunday, because all the staff are often at different churches, that when I come to work... God's plan is, just like in the garden, that where I work and where I labour and where I have my way and my being throughout the week, whatever that looks like, could be transformative to me. So this is sort of this radical journey. And, um, and so it, it sort of led me into, and I'm also doing a, a, a bachelor in organisational leadership, and it led me into this um, study and looking at, well, how, how do you do it? How do you take proven, you know management and change management and all these theories, how do you actually do that in a Christian environment? Because the you I don't know if anyone here work like full time or part time in a in a Christian workplace or ministry or something like that? Raise your hands if you do, or a school, school teachers, Christian school teachers, things like that. Larry, you do. So glad this is for you, brother. And uh Because it's not new, it's not a new problem. And and, and you think, I remember the first time I came on church staff, I'm like, this is going to be the best. It'll be like devotions every day, and we're going to get to pray when we want. And it's like, nah, bro, you're on salary to work, you know. (laughs) And, uh, you know, people go, I go from a state school, went into Christian school, and there's this this sort of, uh, does anybody know what I'm talking about? There's this thing where it's like, it's going to be like working in heaven. And sometimes it's the opposite, right? It's like, boing, this is... This is not the same way. So there's not a lot of research at all on how to do spiritual formation in the workplace. And some of the world's largest companies, Google, uh, you know, other, other, countries across, other companies, big organisations across the world, realise that if you actually concentrate on growing a person, the dividends, the return on investment, which is what commerce cares about, pays off massively that if that if we create space for a better me then there's always a better we that the more time we give people in solitude in silence now l- let me hear you there's there's not enough research showing what christian organizations do because we're, we're not always intentional with that but these other companies they're like let's bring somebody in to speak on mindfulness let's have yoga classes let's do and now i'm, I'm not a big fan of all that stuff but the thing is it works because people slow down and people concentrate. One of the largest, most successful, and one of the only stockbroking firms and stock portfolio firms in America that did really, really well in the GFC was a company who concentrated. Uh, and what Robert Keegan talked about in his book, The Everyone Culture, he says, he calls it a deliberately developmental organization. And in that organization, whether you're the CEO or the mail clerk or whoever you are, if, the, if somebody comes up to you today and says, hey, Vic, what are you working on today? You have to say, I'm working on myself. That's the answer. What are you working on today? I'm working on me. And, and it's a hard culture to work in, like, it's confronting. You, you think, like, having Paul Young here was confronting? You work in a company worth billions of dollars where it's expected that you have to grow and mature. Interesting, right? And there's, there's companies like that growing all over the world because it, it, there is this principle that kind of works (laughs) and that is if you mature and you grow up, the world benefits. And the way they're discovering all that is done is not through lots of professional development days, it's not through a lot of these outward behavioural management thing, it's the working out all all the rubbish inside. It's dealing with all those things. And they have a way of doing it. So I'm in this Christian workplace. I'm like, well, how do we do that Christ-centric? Because at the end of the day, should this not be the place that shines the most, that is transformed the most? Now, my challenge is, I mean, they have offices in India, in Indonesia, in China, in Myanmar, in the Philippines, in Sri Lanka we often hook up by webinar and stuff like that and do teachings. I mean, I have. There is like a breadth of religious programming that we all have. We all have it. Non-Christians have religious programming. It's just the way that we're, we're wired, yeah? And so thinking of ways. Now, there's nothing new under the sun, amen? There really isn't. And so in part of that and in my own journey coming out of burnout, having things changed a lot, God really started to say, hey, there are ancient paths. Even the things that Paul Young talked about, we're like, oh, my gosh, it's nothing's new. It's not new. Hello. It's not new. And one of the things we're doing at... at, um, at this workplace and, and one of the things we're, amongst the other things, is, is working on is how do we, now this is also a tech company, so if we are moving forward and reaching forward into, into a, an amazing future. Friends, did you know that like in about 30 years time, 40% of jobs that exist today won't exist anymore? They'll be given to automation. So, if your value proposition this is what my director taught us, and he, he attends some of the largest tech conferences. He's in uh, Barcelona, or Barcelona, they call it, right now at the World Mobile Conference where you've got you know, Mark Zuckerberg and all the keynote speakers from across the world talking about how tech is changing the world. And they can automate things. So if your value proposition as a person is based upon you doing repetitive tasks, that can be programmed and calculated, chances are you will lose, you, your job won't exist. Now, I, and I joke, I, you know, stuff's happened... Pre- if I told my mum when I was eight years old, living at Mount Martha here at Safety Beach, where I, partly, I do, grew up down here, I'm from Sunshine Coast now, but I did, I did six years at Dramana Primary School, a year at Doncaster. No, a year at Baldwin, which was also Greythorn high school. Anyone remember the show Pugwall Summer? Anyone ever see that show? Yeah, that's the school I went to there. You know uh, Effie from Acropolis now? Uh, Kate Sobrano? They all went to that school. And then the Keating government came in and sold it all off. So it doesn't exist anymore. But um, where was I going with that? Dramana. um, If I said to my mum back then, she said, what do you want to do when you're older? I said, I want to be a web designer, mum. She says, you're not Spider-Man. Because (laughs) websites didn't exist. Right? So st- stuff's not going to exist and new jobs will happen. And we can freak out, but, but Stuart Cranny, the, my director, very, very clever man, he says to me, what, this is the wonderful plan of God I see coming. He says that as more is automated, it will force us to be more human. You'll be left with yourself. And you can't gain your value from the things that you do anymore. So we will be forced to be faced with our humanity. Because here's, here's the thing. I should use this. Here's the thing. Now, I've stolen this from Richard Raw. Really simple illustration. This, generally speaking is how we we see God, here's God, and here's me. Yeah? And I'm a human being really trying my best to do whatever it takes to be one with God. Yeah? I'm a human being deeply trying to be spiritual. Now we hear if you were here on the weekend and we 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 begin to introduce sort of languages of saying, well, you know, th- that's not your true self. That's not the that's not the truth of who you are. Because the truth is, you are already in him. <laughs> and you're not you're not a, a human being trying to be more spiritual. That's what we tend to end up thinking and 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 unfortunately a lot of our prayers and our ways start with this idea of great separation uh, 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 there's a distance here and a chasm i have to cross when the truth is friends you're already in christ and you're not this is i love this this is you're not a, a human being trying to be more spiritual You're a spiritual being learning what it's like to be more human. Because I would put to you that Jesus came to show us what it's like to be human. That's what he came. That's what he introduced. This is the way. The way of what? The way of humanity. Because this here is ultimately, I'm going to use some psych language here, but this is the ego or the false self. This is how the false self works here. And we try lots of things here. This is really the truth. Your true self is really already. Here and, and there is something deep within you because Romans 8 tells us that there is a spirit of adoption that's placed in you, telling you that you're already in, convincing you, doing its best to convince you that you're already a your son, you're already a your child. Is this making sense? You, you know it in your Noah. You know it in, not Noah's ark, you know it in your knower. You've got a deep sense of this is true. This is how it really is. But we spend a good half of our life working like this. Now, listen, I've been in prayer ministry and transformational stuff for almost a decade now only been saved a couple decades, so half of my Christian life's been walking through this and, and learning different types of prayer. I mean, I've released albums on prayer, you know, like it's sort of this thing for me. And they're all really important, but what's been interesting is, is even as I've been um, studying and looking at, okay, like, we, we can say what we want, but what, what is <laughs> this is what happens when you go to university? What, what's peer-reviewed stuff that's actually been proven. Like, how does maturity happen? How do you grow up? How do you, how are you transformed? And what sort of prayer transforms you? And there was some really interesting research done in 2010, and um, and particularly in um, 2009 by uh, Jankowski and Vaughan, where they, they went and they, they studied across a pretty broad variety of people and they used maturity tests. It was, was peer-reviewed. So this is legit. It's not like, bless his heart, you know, John Maxwell's leadership principles. You know, it's like this is researched and non-biased and they're not selling a book. You got it? So they, they worked out there's about 11 different types of prayer. 11. And they're all valid. I want you to hear me at the start here. I'm not poo-pooing anything. All right? Hear me out? No, no poo-poo. <laughs> but, but they don't all transform you. You won't be transformed. Because a lot of them work from, work from this kind of model here. They just do. There's two types of prayer that they, through all their research, worked out, brought maturity and transformation. One of those types of prayer, they, they sort of called outward prayer for self. Now, hear me, this is a bit shocking for me too because you know I've released albums like Healing and Relief, Fear and Anxiety, Praying in the Courts of Heaven, you know, Blessing, all that sort of stuff. And the blessing might transform the person you're praying for And it may touch you, but does it transform you? Does that make sense? Us praising God, bidding, Lord, heal this person, do all that. It it may move you, but does it really transform you? Does it really cement the reality of who you really are? So these are the two types, because you're all wondering. Okay. One of them they call... The outward prayer for self. And it basically means we're praying to God for ourself. Not necessarily our material needs, but for us as a person. Lord, please make me a a more loving husband. I'm in the back room there. God, I have only preached once in two years. Please help me like, hold my crap together today. (laughs) That's my prayer. An outward prayer for self. Help me with my anger, Lord. It would include elements of confession and forgiveness and genuine repentance. The psalm demonstrates this approach a lot. If you read the psalms, the psalmists pray for themselves all the time. There's <laughs> not much when it's like, Lord, bless these people and help my auntie. And do you, Have you noticed that? There's not a lot of petition prayer, which is valid, which Jesus validates, so it's not, give us this day our daily bread, forgive those, you know. There, there's a lot, that's, it's all legit, but what brings transformation and maturity is outward prayer for self. It may well have been um, a takeaway from Jesus' parable contrasting the prayer style of the Pharisees and the tax collector, you know, in Luke 18. And it basically carries a premise of, I can't be like Christ. Without Christ. Lord, I can't be like you without you, so I need your help. So it's not a behavior modification thing, which is one of the ruling principles of this, but it's sinking into, Lord, you're in me, apparently somehow. I don't know how that works. That's a mystery, because it is. Like iniquity is a mystery, Christ in you is a deep mystery. I don't know how it works, but it does. The other and I'd like to talk to you a bit about, I actually don't know, even know what time, we've got about 20 minutes left. The other I'd like to talk to you, what time do you usually go to? 12? 12? 12? 12? 15? 12.50? 15, I'm joking. All right. (laughs) The other one is an upward or contemplative prayer. Contemplative prayer. Who's heard of contemplative prayer before? So I'd like to talk to you a little bit about that this morning. Contemplative prayer involves looking at God as he looks at you. Most often in solitude and quiet, it's the simplest form of prayer, sometimes referred to as gazing faith or relational prayer. It was practiced by and written by early church mystics like St. John of the Cross St. Teresa of Avila, who said, Contemplation is nothing else than the close sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. So, my gosh, this is the largest, this is how they should be. Look at the size of that. That's huge. That's efficiency, man. Look at that. The, one of my favorite stories about contemplative prayer or centering prayer, or, and, and hear this, this is how old this is. This is really how the early church was practiced resting in God. Because we'll play music or we'll just say, come on, let's, let's be still and know that he's God. And we're all still moving around, hands are wave, music's going, that's not stillness. We're still doing something. And if you've done that in the last two weeks, you're forgiven. But let's, let's know that stillness means stillness. Nothing moves. Nothing goes. So you will know who Mother Teresa is? Yeah. Do you like Mother Teresa? She's. We would say she was a spiritual person who did amazing things with God. So this interviewer comes up to Mother Teresa and says, Mother Teresa, I'd really like to ask you about your prayer life. She's like, okay. He says, "Uh, can you tell me about it? She's like, yeah, what do you want to know? He says, well, like, what do you do? What do you say? She says, I usually sit and don't say anything. Oh, he jumps straight in. Oh, it's like listening prayer. So the Lord speaks to you, hey? She says, no. So you sit down and you don't say anything. But God doesn't say anything? She's like, exactly. And so he's again, it's like, so let me, so you sit down, yep you don't say anything? No. And God doesn't say anything? No. He says, how's that prayer? She looks at him and she says, if you don't know the answer to that, you don't know what prayer is. I've been married for 21 years this year. And um, I just like hanging out with my wife. I just like being with her. And you know after a while you communicate without saying it's just their presence. It's just it's my wife's presence. It means so much to me. The fact that she's around is transformative. Centering. That's how you rest in God. And one of the keys is and and I'm laughing Uh, where's the the, uh, dear what you led to worship what's your name Rachel Rachel was telling this story about what I'd written in my notebook because this is this is the first step to resting in God that says surrender if you don't have your glasses surrender you have to surrender you have to surrender your thinking you have to surrender you being in control of your prayer life shut your mouth and God might shut his and you can learn what it's like just to be together surrender now I've I've been working in this workplace and we've been practicing this and I practiced it with all the international managers and I said, We're gonna practice just being still for five minutes. So you just grab your chair. I'll just grab this one. Because this is this is this is how this is how we how you do it. You sort of sit down, get comfortable. And some of the people that teach this talk about having a, a sacred word that helps you return to God because your mind will go nuts because you've been in control for a long time. You have, right? We talked about the sinner's prayer on the weekend. Lord, come into my heart. Well, you're in charge already and what, you're going to kick him out when it's not working? Like we are really more in charge than we need to be we love control. We like to be in charge. Unless it doesn't work out and God doesn't answer our prayer, (laughs) then we either flog ourselves or flog God, right? (laughs) That's what happens. But you sit there and you just ask the Holy Spirit for a sacred word, a simple word, a simple word that helps you return to God. And then... You don't say anything. Close your eyes helps. And then a thought will come. How long is this going to take? (laughs) You accept that. And you return to your word. My word is one. Some people have heart, love, light. Yes, you know, different forms of Jesus. You don't want a word that's going to make you think of something else. Because you want to get out of your brain And allow it to fall into your heart. You choose a sacred word. How long is it going to take? One. Returning to God. Man, I wonder what everyone's thinking of me right now. One. I don't even know if anyone's going to do this when I leave. They probably think I'm nuts one. I wonder if that lady's coughing is sick or <laughs> if she's safe to hug afterwards. One. Like, so your brain does a lot of stuff, right? One of my favourite, um, and by the way, if you want to study this for yourself, there is uh, Thomas Keating, Father Thomas Keating, um, and there's a whole stack of stuff on centering prayer, but he, he has done some remarkable. He, he passed away last year. And my, my spiritual director therapist is, was mentored by these guys, so it was introduced to me in, in just a great time and season in my life. And it, it has been an anchor for me because I've realized how much I like to be in control and in charge. And it allows me to live in the grace of one day, which for me this weekend with Paul Young here has been my biggest takeaway. Live in the grace of one day. Because if you future trip and worry about tomorrow, you wonder where God is because he's not in your imagination. He's in with you today. He's right here in his presence. So Thomas Keating was running a workshop and a lady said, because what you can try and practice, and it's a practice, is sitting down and doing it for 20 minutes twice a day. So they sat down and they practiced for twenty minutes and afterwards they were debriefing and they said, How this lady said, I like my mind went off in ten like I think I said my word about ten thousand times. And he smiles at her in his lovely old Trappist monk Catholic way, and he says, Wonderful, you found ten thousand ways to return to God. You hear me? without you being in charge, without you being in charge. Because if you surrender, if you jump off the roof, what was it you said before? You have to learn to trust. Now hear me out. Some people go, that's new age. You're emptying your mind. I've worked in prayer ministry. I've worked with satanic ritual abuse people. I've worked with the (sighs) deepest, wounded, most, the worst So I do my homework before I do anything. This is not new age. This is old age, friends. (laughs) This is how the early church was taught to rest in God. Before we became in charge, post-enlightenment, we're in charge. We know stuff we know better than him, and we're going to tell him and dictate the terms and conditions. Not that we replace that, but this is a lovely addition and way that you can take up. But you have to trust now, trust that Will I be okay? <laughs> so you build this great sort of sense of, of trust. But there's a piece missing here. Because everyone says, well, what's the point? What's the intent? The intent of all this is consent. Consent. When I come to God... I'm sitting here by faith not in control and i'm consenting i'm giving him permission to, to for him to do whatever he wants in his time in me even without me knowing you're hearing me now you you understand there's consent consent needs this trust the trust leads to this sense of surrender, because I need to trust that this is going to be okay. I'm leaning into this surrender, and that surrender, if I really surrender him, I can't have any strings. There are no strings attached. No strings attached. That's, this this is, takes me, this is gonna, I know this is going to take me years. Or I would really like to have you do this in me. This would be helpful. No strings attached. I have to really trust (laughs) all the things I've preached about, all the things I've heard and confess, is that he is the author and finisher of my faith, that he will finish the work in me. We just hardly give him a time to do that. I'll finish the work in me. He will do that. That's his promise, if we let him. In the early church, this is how they were taught to rest in God. There is this amazing piece written by a guy by the name of St. Simeon, the New Theologian. Now, this was written roughly 1,022. Hello? And in this, he talks about, I won't read it, but he talks about three ways of attention to prayer... And he says, the first way of attention, features of this way are these. One stands and prays, raising the hands towards the sky together with their eyes and mind. They imagine divine concepts, the good things of heaven, the armies and the holy angels, the residence of the saints. And in short, he gathers in his mind all that he's heard from the scripture. He recalls them from time, looking. His time of prayer, looking to the sky, he exhorts his soul of what he thinks is the love of God, sometimes even tears and cries. He's writing this a 1,000 years ago on a type of prayer. Isn't that nothing's new, friends? Ancient paths. Then he goes and talks about the second way of attention in prayer. When someone concentrates his mind in himself, detaching detaching it from all that is earthly, guarding his senses and gathering his thoughts so that they are not scattered to the vain things of the world. Sometimes he examines his thoughts, pays attention. Sometimes he returns to his thoughts that were trapped by the devil and were drawn to that which is evil and vain. So he's talking about sort of like your quiet time. <laughs> and uh, and he, he comments on these. That's too much to read. But this is a thousand years ago. Hello. Then he says... The third way is indeed strange and difficult to explain. Whilst to those who are not aware of it, it is often incomprehensible, appearing unreal and impossible that any such a thing can happen. This is because in these days the third way is not found in many, but rather in very few. And and he goes on to explain, centering prayer, Isn't that fascinating? He goes on to explain, and this was a major theme in the early church because they didn't have, you know, the printing press only came out some 500 years ago, right? We live in an amazing age. And I'm afraid that the further we reach forward into the future, if we don't reach back and lay hold of the things that rooted our faith and the church, then we'll fall over. At the workplace, to do this, I ran a workshop and I gave them all these paddle pop sticks and elastic bands (laughs) and uh, plasticine and I said, I want you guys to build uh, on the tables here a structure that goes as high as you can and as wide, far out as you can. So as high and as far out as you can. And you get points for as high, you know, this times that, plus anything that hangs over the table. Anyway, it was hilarious. I have all these international managers there, <laughs> about 15 of them trying to craft. You know, it was all cross-culture. We had people from everywhere trying to craft this thing, and half of them fell over and everything like that. And, but the debrief was the further we do reach forward in, in height and loftiness and all the things that we're believing for, the more gr- rooted and grounded we have to be in the things that were proven and that really matter. Are you hearing me? That has to be like that. Otherwise, again, we're in charge. And so what happens is you go from consent to surrender. You move to this where there's no strings attached. I'm not gonna I I don't I know what I'd like you to do, God, but I'm even surrendering that. Hello. And you just give yourself to the mystery. It's really hard. Like you sit there in your own head for 10 minutes. Like for me, if I do 20 minutes, the first 15 minutes is me trying to get out of the way. Hello? And then you can receive. You move into this place where you receive. Dave, do you get visions of Jesus? Father Keating says this, even if Jesus you get a vision of Jesus who walks across the room to you and stands in front of you. You let that go and you return. What? Isn't that the point? Our concept of God is only a concept of God. It's not who he is. Are you hearing me? So I'd encourage you if you like, it's all invitation. Have a look at that as a form of prayer. There are some other really good forms of prayer. One of them that you're a little more in charge, but is really wonderful, is called examine. Has anyone heard of this? Examine sounds like examine. Exa. Oh, sorry. Examen. Examine. And this was created by the, you know, was adopted by uh, uh, Ignatius Loyola, the, the Jesuit, the person who started the Jesuit movement, okay? By the way, a lot of this is Catholic before, you know, we didn't think they were right. So it's all Christian, that's all I'm saying. This is awesome. Examen is like awesome. And there's apps for centering prayer that help you with the timing and the flow. There's apps you can get on Examen which is basically you stop and you reflect on the day that's gone past so far and you look for where you missed God. You look for where you missed God in the moment. Well, I, you know, I saw God in the faces of these kids who came and danced. I saw joy and the spark of, of God in Rachel's face as she enjoyed herself in worship. Hello? And you go and you, you begin to see where you miss God and you give thanks for that, and there's a whole... It's really cool. Um, the other one, if you love the scriptures, is, is it's something called Lectio Divina. Anyone heard of that? Now, at my workplace, because uh, we're trying to... Like, there is, there is some religious boundaries and challenges in uh, some of the other offices. We call that meditation on scripture. <laughs> Not Lectio Divina. And we call examen um, reflecting on your day. You know, we have to change the titles, but it's the, same, it's the same content because it works. And Lectio Divina is not you reading the word, but you allowing the word to read you. Hello. You allow, and that means you read it, you think about it. You have somebody else read it to you, it's pretty cool to do in a group because then you can't. And then you don't have to think about concepts, you just pick up what what. what. It means to you and you reflect on it and you build gratitude on it and then you just sit and you marinate in what that is, which is kind of centering prayer where you let go of everything and you allow the living Word of God to speak through the written Word of God and transform something in you. That's a cool thing as well. And all these things, particularly that one... All these things, and I'll finish with this, is so that we can begin to allow transformation to happen beyond ourselves and that it's something that happens to you in spite of you because that is the good news. That before you spoke, before you prayed, before you loved God, He loved you. Hello. So Thomas Keating draws this really easy sort of to follow chart here and he uses a whole circle here it's concentric, but I'll just draw semicircles here. He says because most of us live in what I'll instead of using consciousness I'll call it awareness, okay? Awareness, because it's easier to spell. Okay. So most of us most of the time we're all living in this state of ordinary awareness. Have you ever watched a movie you've been so engrossed in? Like, you—you, you, you, you know, some of the good Netflix series are like this. You can't stop. You're like, it finishes and you're like, you watch the countdown go. <laughs> you think there's not even time for a toilet break. I've got to be here. And you, you're sucked into the movie. You're sucked into the series. Anybody know? Or am I the only? Okay. Now, much of life becomes like that, where where we, we can't tell the difference between the life we're living in and the person we are in that. There's no other awareness. We're just in it. And the scene dictates everything, and we're just in that. And there's nothing wrong with this. I'm just pointing out how this sort of works. Underneath that, though, deeper down, we have spiritual awareness you're in a meeting you get the goosebumps you feel the breeze on your face you just start to discern things spiritually you those of you who speak in tongues you have no idea what you're saying but the bible says that you're building up with any man i had a guy tell to me goes what's the thing with centering prayer like what if you say nothing I said, you speak in tongues? He said, yeah. I said, do you know what you say? I said, no. I said, does it work and transform you? He says, yeah. I said, it's like that, but you get to save your voice box. (laughs) And you're not doing anything. So you can't even say, oh, I went and I've spoken tongues for 20 minutes and had this breakthrough. No, you get to go. I sat there, did nothing, and God did the breakthrough. Glory to God. Because I did nothing. Let no man boast. Spiritual awareness. I I missed the whole letter here. I told you. Okay, spiritual awareness is that spiritual discerning. And in here, you actually, you've realized uh, hang on, I can step out from the movie I'm engrossed in and realize something else is going on here. That person's speaking to me and everything, and you realize there's, some, there's a spirit here, there's an atmosphere, something's going on here, and you step back out of the moment, and you're like, ah, oh, has anyone experienced that? It's good to develop your spiritual awareness. So you can walk in the spirit, and you can see in the spirit. doesn't mean you, you always get visions and stuff, but you see with a spiritual awareness. Hello, let me take the pressure off some of you are like, I really want to see, I want to see like that. I want to see the angels. No. You can walk as a human with spiritual awareness. Because you are spiritual beings. Trying to be more human. Learning what it's like to be human. But beneath this I'm going to remember what the next level is, because these are these kind of begin to cross here. But this is this is your true self. Your true self Right? That was this, this one here. Remember the circle in the circle? This one here, often when we pray that way, this is this, this sense of separation. That's your false self. That's your true self. And beloved, you are going to be dancing between these two for the rest of your life. You will. You'll dance in those. you dance between them. You know, this weekend with, with Paul, young, I was like, oh my gosh, kind of... I've heard some of it before, but I have to, uh, let me just add this. If you simply adopt a new way of being without a wrestle, you will most likely not experience the transformation necessary and, and shortchange the work of the Spirit in you. If you just say, oh, Paul Young says this, I'll just say that. We have to do that when we are first believers. That's sort of part of the deal in the first stage of your faith. You adopt everything. I don't know about you, but the first church that I went to, I thought was God, and everything they said was true. Does this? You have to do. It's like a toddler. My dad's better than your dad. I've heard kids talk about their dad like he's Superman, and their dad's a jerk, like he's an absolute <laughs> jerk. Hello. But a child doesn't know because they need to be grounded. They need to be certain. They need to be sure. And this is how attachment works. And we do that when we first get saved. That's okay. But later on, <laughs> when When stuff doesn't work out as well, you're like, I don't know if I believe that anymore. So you have to be able to wrestle. Like Jacob, we must wrestle and allow the difficult process and its accompanying sufferings to create the muscle and capacity necessary to express the revelation. Not rationally or behaviorally, but incarnationally. Because then it's no effort. Can we read that again? Like Jacob, we must wrestle and allow the difficult process and its accompanying sufferings to create the muscle and capacity necessary to express the revelation, not rationally or behaviorally, but incarnationally. So this is where you begin to sink into your true self. And then the next level is your, they call it your ground of being. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. But it's, 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 it's the depths of who you are. And these are a little bit interchangeable. Your true self and ground of being are very similar. And and now you've stepped out of the movie altogether. You can turn the movie off and you can detach. This is what you practice in things like centering prayer. Thought comes in, return to the word, let it go. Practice letting go. And they've done some phenomenal research on some of the neuroplasticity. You're talking about spiritual warfare. This is phenomenal training for your brain. Something goes to trigger you off... You've been practicing letting go for twenty minutes already that day, forty minutes the day before, and uh, it's it's amazing for just your own humanity to go, let it go, live in the grace of today, <laughs> center down, be aware of who God is in you, and what what you're what you're beginning to do is become more aware of your ground of being. But it's you've missed you're you're no longer in the movie. Your thoughts don't matter for as much. You realize I really aren't in control anyway. And then um, this final stage they call um, your divine indwelling. Divine indwelling. Does this make sense? And this is where you become aware. Without words, hello, without words, you become aware of who you really are. So let me read Romans 8 to you. Knowing all this, maybe you see what I wrote here a little a little differently in light of that. Now it's talking about us being heirs in Christ. It talks about the future glory uh, in Romans 8. Verse 26, and it helps if you read the whole thing, so if you want homework, go back and read the whole thing. Um, Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings and, too deep for words, which means there's just a silence. There is, there's no words. Hmm. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God, all things will work together for good for those who are calling. Called according to his purpose I've found just in six months of doing this and some of the research that I have found as well and people I've talked to there <laughs> there is this sense that is as um, Saint Simeon the new theologian said it's sort of strange and hard to explain But you begin to know all things work together for good. And all that, that scripture is preceded by this Paul explaining something. This is funny about the Apostle Paul. He mentions Jesus in all his writings maybe no more than ten times. But he talks about Christ hundreds of times because we, I don't know if you remember, Apostle Paul didn't meet Jesus in the flesh, but he knew the Christ And he knew that he was in him. You start reading all of Paul's writings from this sense of him having a revelation that this is nice, but this is the reality. This is really here. And so doing these types of prayer are, and you can go and look this up, you know, um, those who love... Studying the theology, etc. This is called an apophatic. A P O P H A T I C. Apophatic type of prayer. Versus cataphatic. Now cataphatic is full of content. Apophatic. Some of Australian languages apophatic. When when Gary Grant dropped me off, I said, How far is it from to Friends First from here? He says, Oh, it's not far. I was like, "That's not an answer. That's apophatic, right? Cataphatic would be it's about ten minutes. Apophatic, he tells me what it's not. Aussies do it all the time. How much is that? Oh, it's not much. How you doing? Not bad. Do you know we do that? We tell you what it's not, and then you're left with what it is. Not bad. That's apophatic. Five minutes more. Okay." I'll, I'll explain this really easy here. This we're going to explain. I want. I want to just talk out here, so you wake up before we finish. Give me some. Give me some words that describe who God is. Loving, gracious, strange. Did you say that? Awesome. Creator. Creator, kind, sorry, divine. I thought you said defiant. (laughs) I love that. I'm going to write both. (laughs) I'm going to write that too, defiant. Okay, what else? Merciful. I mean, humorous. Jealous, in the best kind of way. Jealous generous okay we could go on forever right explaining what god is and our concept of god and how we've experienced god and what the scripture says about god let's go two more trustworthy oh trustworthy faithful what was the other one huh Okay. Thanks for saying that. He's intelligent. Okay. So this this here, everything that I've written here describes God. Amen? Most of us agree with that? Some of you thinking, why did you write defiant? I don't know. I thought it was fun. Some of it I can't spell, only that's I was writing in tongues here. Okay. (laughs) All right, let's let's just jump over here. Jen, the new generation of the the, the millennials. You know the millennial generation? So they're born from about uh, 1980 to 90. What is it about? 96, 98, let's say. From 80 to 2000, let's call that millennials. They're born in that time. Give me some things that describe the millennials. Did you say fast? Defiant. (laughs) Defiant. (laughs) Defiant fast. What else? Smart. Tech savvy. Good. Self-centered. Yeah, it's true. Entitled. Oh, you know, wherever I travel, this is what we get. Resilience. Lack. Tell us what you really think. I know all the millennials are like, what? Are you? You're a millennial, right? What give me something positive. <laughs> Guns. Now what is it? Give me something good. Uh, Guitar. Uh, it's oh, it's hard. <laughs> Adaptable. Adaptable. Excellent. Okay. Flexible. Flexible too. Okay. So, do you think that describes absolutely all millennials? Because there is this white space here. I, couldn't put it, I didn't put any words in here. There's all the things that are unsaid that are still true about the millennial generation, including what is still to be discovered as they begin to lead our world. That white space here, that is apophatic. What's written is cataphatic. So all the things we can say about God is cataphatic. Okay. All this is cataphatic, the cataphatic one. All the white spaces, all the white spaces is apophatic, and it is still God. And so one of the things we we have to learn in prayer if you want to be transformed is to enter into the mystery of the white space, beyond words, beyond utterance, where the Spirit groans a mystery in you that words can't even utter. And allow that to transform you. Because while you're stuck, because everything you described here came out of this. It did. It's the truth of this, but it come out of this. If you want to, we have to almost go back inside to be transformed, born again, from what the truth is of our divine indwelling. Enter into the mystery of who Christ is. By not being in control, because we love being in control. We love certainty. And so then you have to do this journey of consent, allowing God to do what he has to do, trusting that he'll do it, that he's good. There's a few years to do that. Then really surrender to who he is, because you can trust him. That's another maybe decade. Yeah, it is, right? Really. I mean, if you you go sit in your own chair for 20 minutes twice a day, you'll see. you got more going on than you thought. No strings attached. Then we can receive, and then we can be guided into a new dance, a new way of being. Let me finish with uh, a, a poem. I've been writing a lot of poetry. A lot of it you'll find on Facebook or on my blog. You won't find this one because this, is, this was one for me. And I don't know if I'll publish this, but uh, it's called Ancient Parts. I thought I could march through life, guided by nothing but my own steps, careful to only tread on virgin ground, avoiding former tracks and braving uncharted estate. And with the cheer of fans and the jeer of critics at my back, I walked on, determined to find new land and return to accolades and told you so's. But the strong wind blew and the heavy rain fell, revealing the soil's secrets. Footprints, everywhere, footprints. Traces on traces from past eras, some foot trails ending without warning, several turning back on themselves, others stalling at crossroads, but all before me, all around me, footprints. My head sunk, my pride with it. Fists pounding the earth in anguish, I yelled to the heavens, This can't be so. This can't be so. With a firm, quiet tone, heaven replied, But this must be so. For you are on holy ground, made sacred by the footsteps of forerunners, forebearers, forefathers for you. Heaven continued, do you not know that the very inner fire which drove you from the warmth of your own tribe was not lit by you, but by divine desire and hallowed birthright? Can you now see that the storms were a gift to uncover the truth, that you were never meant to forge new paths on your own, but you were called to uncover ancient paths, and be guided into the way by me and a great cloud of witnesses. Jeremiah 6.16 says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Hebrews 12.1 says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles You were called to uncover ancient paths and be guided into the way by me and a great cloud of witnesses. Friends, I would encourage you in your prayer and your transformation as much as you want to move forward to look back, draw, practice, have a go. That's my encouragement to you. Bless you. Thank you for having me and making me feel welcome. Thank you.